0: live from f102 this is art as we know it welcome to episode two of season two with this podcast we hope to share our art knowledge and help inspire others to find art in their daily lives today on the podcast we have
1: hello i'm nicholas
0: eleanor kendrick and i'm riley our main topic for today is the art of propaganda but before we dive into it let's hear the answer to our trivia question from last week
1: Okay, so what was Uncle Sam based off of? Ah, uh, it was a meat packer.
2: Uh, today in art history, uh, the new paintings of common objects exhibition at Pasadena Art Museum opens today with their first show on American pop art.
0: So, what do you guys know about propaganda?
1: Well, propaganda has been used to influence people. It's been, used to, it's been used for people to demonstrate their superiority over other groups, to promote a movement or something.
3: I agree. It's just different modes of ways of sharing an, an agenda.
2: And to like, try to persuade whoever the propaganda is directed at.
0: Yeah, it's definitely about you know, spreading ideology, about um, certain people, certain figures, things like that. I think, Eleanor, you have some information about the history of artist propaganda.
3: Well, yes, I do have some history about artist propaganda. So propaganda is kind of weird in that, like, usually when we think of it, we think of, like, World War II and the Cold War and all those really different, interesting, and they're also kind of cool, different ways of sharing usually pro-American methods However, it didn't just start then. In fact, propaganda can be traced back way into global prehistory through just like recording and remembering different things that happened in day-to-day lives. And many of the 250 pieces that were early on can be classified as propaganda, like the Mortuary Temple of Hatshepsut and the Standard of Ur were both considered propaganda because they furthered an agenda. And then when I really think about what I think of propaganda, I think of Hammurabi's code, which was basically how Hammurabi shared the whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, because in the artwork that's centered around him, there was a lot of messages in that. So can y'all think of anything early on that you would classify as propaganda?
2: So also from the 250, uh, there's Augustus of Prima Porta from the first century AD, and that was to portray the power of Augustus. And to link him to the gods of Rome to show his power.
1: I also think that another example would be maybe the pyramids, the great pyramids in Egypt. Like, it may not exactly show the power of the ruler while they're alive, but after their death, it shows their power and their influence they have in the Egyptian society, like, their importance, and how much it means to them.
0: Yeah, it's definitely really interesting how there are so many different kind of mediums for propaganda. Even something like Versailles could be considered propaganda to an extent because it was used to kind of establish Louis as this incredible ruler. And so it's really interesting to see how it's evolved because it's not limited to what we think of as propaganda today, the propaganda that we actually know of started around World War One, and it had to do with kind of the popularization of the political poster mm-hmm. um, because printing became such a big thing back then. People could actually you know mass print for the first time. So that's where we got all of the really striking images and the simple slogans and the bold flat colors that were used. So that's where that kind of distinct style came from and it just stuck with us. And a lot of that kind of evolved throughout World War II, like you said before. So, you know, when you guys think of the World War II imagery and all of that kind of propaganda, what do you think of? There are some pretty striking images. I think, Eleanor, you had an idea about Rosie the Riveter.
3: Oh, yeah. So, Rosie the Riveter is like one of my favorite pieces of art in general, probably because my mom likes it so much, but... It's really cool how like something like that, that if you think about it, they really just used primary colors and colors that popped and it just said, we can do it. And it's so simple. And the design's like nothing insane. It's not like the Sistine Chapel. It's just a girl like flexing, which <laughs> whatever. But <laughs> it's cool that something like that just like has such a big impact because we see stuff like that all the time today.
1: Okay. So another thing that art is used for in terms of propaganda is in politics. It's been commissioned by leaders throughout history to display their power, make sure their legacy stands. It's been used by oppressive governments and power-hungry leaders in order to further their selfish motives. So one example that really stands out to me is the fascist and the Nazi propaganda posters. So these posters served to justify the war and genocide and oppressive regimes. So futurism was an art movement promoted by Mussolini. It displayed the beauty of the machine, the speed, the violence, and the change, and These images or ideas that were reflected in these paintings, really, they were in line with the fascist agenda. And the state didn't really allow for any artistic representation of anything that was different from fascism. But it's not always necessarily negative. An example of this would be Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam is a popular symbol in the USA. A lot of us know us as Americans, and he's usually associated as a cartoon figure with long white hair, chin whiskers, dressed in a coat, vest, tall hat, and trousers. He's appeared in many posters, advertisements, parodies, television shows, and any other kinds of media. In one example, in 1917, there's a painting of Uncle Sam where he's asking young men to join the military. And it lists like the different branches of the military on the poster, so it gives the viewer options. And also, propaganda was also used during the times of the American Revolution as well. So we all know what the join or die cartoon is, right? Like yeah. the, mm-hmm. the snake that was divided up, thirteen colonies. So it was originally uh, created by Franklin to unite the colonies during the French and Native American War, and he wanted the colonies to unite so that they can survive, and the French and Native Americans don't pick them off one by one. And it was also to convince the British government to support a unified government in America.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that's so interesting about propaganda is that these images, you know, at their core are really simple, like you were saying about Rosie the Riveter and like you were saying about the joiner Die cartoon is that, you know, you just have a snake and you just have um, a woman. But they've become these huge things in, in our culture. We see imagery, those things everywhere. And I think part of the reason that is, is because propaganda that we're familiar with was used to appeal to everyone. Mm. One of the things that they did during the Russian Revolution was they used those bold colors and simple slogans and everything to appeal to the working classes because a lot of them were illiterate. They couldn't read. So if you had a big, complicated poster, it wouldn't help you during the war effort. So those images and those sayings and everything, like, you know, during World War II, one of the big things was loose sink ships. It was about not talking to the enemy because people were worried about spies and everything. So... Even though propaganda can be used for good or for evil, all of those sayings and all of that imagery has still very much integrated itself into our culture today because it's so simple. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it is that it appeals to such a large audience.
1: I agree.
3: I think it's really interesting. You can tell when propaganda is effective based off of how, like, society recepts it. So... If it's just simple and people don't really like it, nobody's going to remember it in a couple of years. But if you think about, for example, remember when Obama was, I think it was for his first term when he was campaigning, one of the things he used it was the Rosie the Riveter phrase of we can do it. And then his colors, it was a picture of his face and then it was red, white, and blue. And obviously people really liked it. It was great. And a lot of people thought it was a really interesting take. And then... Now, looking back, we know it was effective because if you look at the Megamind movie, which is a kid's movie, one of the really funny kind of gags or Easter eggs, you would say, that's in that movie is the fact that when he, Megamind, takes over Metro City, he calls it Metrocity. <laughs> I think I'm more educated on Megamind than I am art and propaganda. The poster they use of his face is a spoof on that. And so it's, you can tell that type was much more effective than a poster that we probably don't even know about today. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting.
0: I'm glad that you brought up that example, too, because one of the things that distinguishes that particular piece of propaganda was that it was actually made by it wasn't made by anyone on the Obama-like campaign. It was actually made by a street artist named Shepard Fairey, who is known for also his Obey symbol. If you've ever seen like clothes with the Obey sign and he had a picture of Andre the Giant that became like this huge cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. He became a super popular street artist, and they wanted him to do this image of Barack Obama, and it blew up. It became such a recognizable thing where it instilled itself in pop culture. So it's pretty incredible that not only have political figures involved themselves in creating propaganda, but now common people have also use propaganda to further the campaigns of political leaders and ideology and things like that.
3: When we talk about common people and you think of street artists, I think of like Matisse and Banksy and everyone. But when you look at that, could street art be considered a form of propaganda in y'all's opinion? Because I've seen so much that's just like out there and it looks random to me. And then these super educated art people are like, no, like this is so deep. Like, it's so cool. And I just see like, oh, it's Blue and red spray paint, whatever. But do you think that that's like a new method of propaganda people use?
0: I mean, I think it definitely depends on the ideology that they're trying to convey. I think definitely a lot of Banksy pieces could be considered propaganda by their political nature. So, yeah, definitely. What about you guys?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Artists such as Jean Michel Basquiat, he's done some street art and He's used his art to convey racial hardships that he has felt or just reflecting on the social or the racial tension that's found in America's social culture.
0: I think there's definitely an overlap between street art and propaganda and that overlap is kind of redefining propaganda itself too. So again it's it's definitely an evolving movement, and something we should really be paying attention to because politics have become more pertinent than ever, and we're seeing a lot of different people and different regimes come up and it'll definitely be interesting seeing how propaganda evolves in the coming years with all these new politicians and all these new tensions among countries and everything so
3: it's crazy to think that like in a hundred years. Kids are going to be in their A push, which is APS history. If you don't know, they're going to be sitting in that class, and there's going to be some super crazy picture. Maybe it'll be like Megamind. Just and they have to analyze in a DBQ what the significance is that is. It's kind of cool when you think about it, because propaganda is like a different way to tell history. It's kind of cool. Definitely. Although, if the education system comes down to analyzing pictures of Megamind, I think we'll have more prevalent issues to focus on at that point. (laughs) Also true.
2: Political propaganda and older propaganda, such as the propaganda seen in World War II, and even later like the Cold War or the Vietnam War, they become ubiquitous American symbols or just political symbols in general. And they can reflect certain political views or just like social commentary or political commentary on the ideas about the war such as Uncle Sam or the We Can Do It, those are symbols of American strength and nationalism and something like the Guerrillo Heroico, I butchered that, but that's a picture of Che Guevara from the Cuban Revolution and his face has been used as a symbol of rebellion or just like used throughout conflict and stuff like that. So older political propaganda, it can still have meaning in the present world today and can still be applied in various forms of pop culture or just political movements and stuff
0: like that. Definitely. I think one of the main takeaways from doing all of this research about propaganda is like Eleanor said, we can use it to track history. And it's kind of amazing that these symbols have become, like you said, symbols of you know nationalism and American strength, but also we have to recognize the propaganda that we're less proud of because there was a lot of profiling and exaggeration when it came to um, race and certain ideologies during World War II and World War I. So it's interesting to kind of track both sides of history in that sense. Any closing thoughts on propaganda?
1: Yeah, I think propaganda, the impact it has like when you think of certain movements, when you think of certain political parties, when you think of certain regimes throughout history, you may think of a certain image. And it's because they were created for the purpose of either like showing their power to just spread their ideologies, spread their ideas. Like many social movements have certain images that you can remember them by. Like for example, there is one piece in Art 250. It's called The Rebellious Silence. And it shows the complexities of the woman's identities during... A changing cultural landscape in the Middle East through the lens of the Western representation of Muslim women.
3: That's really interesting. Does anyone have like a certain favorite type of propaganda? That's a really art history ask totally question, but does anyone have one? Like, is there something that you just sit there and you're like, "Dang, Rosie the Riveter, that's so sick. I love it so much." You know, for example.
1: I think like sculptures are pretty cool. The amount of work it takes to make them. the amount of people you have to put to making them just to represent some person or some group of people's power is pretty great. Like, for example, in North Korea, Kim Jong-il, he has a sculpture of himself there and like the sheer size of him. it shows his power he had over the people.
0: Yeah, sculptures are pretty interesting. I actually went to Versailles and there was a sculpture of Napoleon dressed as Julius Caesar (laughs) that they just had there. It was really funny to look at, but also... Really interesting to think about all the
3: political implications of it. Sculpture is like, it's so cool. Obviously, Kendrick talked about Augustus of Primo Porto. This isn't really related to propaganda. It's so cool that it's marble and it looks like soft. It looks like skin. You want to go up and just like, oh, silk, but it's not. So that's my dumb blonde quote of the day. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, this has been a riveting episode. I think, Eleanor, do you have an art history joke for us? Do I ever. All right. What flower is the most patriotic? What flower? Yes, what flower? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked. It's Rose E. the Riveter.
2: Uh
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The ratings just went straight downhill. All right.
1: also have a trivia question for you who won 1956's best album of the year you're gonna have to wait till next time
0: all right tune in next time to hear about album covers and hear the answer to the trivia question if you want more information about our podcast and more info on the works that we've talked about today check out our blog at www.artasweknowitpodcast.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Art As We Know It.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening.